Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you guys. My name is Tony Dickman. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to share God's word with you guys this morning. As Erica said, this is Palm Sunday, the beginning of what the church has called Holy Week, where we are journeying to Easter, as you see what I did there, right? Yeah, so we're doing that this morning here and on Kid Street. And uh, it's this time in the year where we focus on this last week of Jesus's life. You know, you get this picture. You heard people are gathering. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and they're gathering and they're waving palm branches and they're shouting Hosanna or Hosanna, however you want to say it. And that word there really means save us, save us now. And they're shouting, save us. And they all have different ideas of what that means and, but if this were the picture you saw of Jesus just being welcomed in Jerusalem, this would only be a portion of what you see. Because they're not the only people watching Jesus coming into Jerusalem that day. Because there are other people like scribes and Pharisees who aren't really thrilled with Jesus. They're not really thrilled with who he says that he is and what it is that he is bringing. They've been seeking for quite a while to actually bring an end to his life. And so to see the crowds cheering him, eh, it doesn't make them happy at all. But not only them, but there are others that were people that at one time followed Jesus. There were Jews that were told that believed in him, but because of his teaching, turned their back on him. And so they're there, I'm sure, in this crowd and so it's a mixed mash of people who see and believe different things about this man named Jesus. The big question that's hanging in the air that day is, who is Jesus? That's the question everybody wants to know. And he's told them numerous times who he is. And he's shown them who he is. You know, the prophet Isaiah says that when he comes, that the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the mute will speak, and the lame will leap. And we've seen Jesus over his three-year ministry healing people and, and, and exactly that happening, which is why the crowds and why this is all culminating here in Jerusalem. People want to know, who is Jesus? I think it's a question that still is in the air today. Historical figure? I don't know. <laughs> I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person like us? He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't, I don't think he's the son of God. I don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. I'm pretty sure he existed. Like, I'm not going to say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was Muhammad, and so was, you know... We're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Um, and he, to me, is the like symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that like constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic, and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened, like religiously and morally. Was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that 
a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others. And I, I think that's just a lot of love and, and hope. Jesus. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. He's just like you and me. He's a magician. So my question for you today is, who is Jesus? Have you asked yourself that question? Have you considered the question that Jesus asked Peter and his disciples, who do you say that I am? That's the question I want to explore today because that tension that Jesus is, he's subversive in his time. He doesn't leave us open to the option of seeing him as a truth. He doesn't open, leave us open to the option that he's just one in a series of good teachers. He doesn't leave that option open to us. And so we ask you the question, who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus? And not just to you, right? The girl in the middle, right? This is who he is to me. But that's subjective, right? The question is, who is Jesus? Who is he? And to understand the controversy that was happening there on that Palm Sunday and to get a better understanding of who he is, I want to turn to John chapter 8. Because there's a story in John chapter 8 that I think gets at the reason why you see the Jews are so mixed about who he is and why they're so angry at him that day and why they eventually put him on a cross and kill him. This story helps us understand better their perspective and I think maybe help us answer the question or at least begin to explore the question about who Jesus is and what options are open to us. Before we do that, I ask if you would bow your heads and pray with me as we turn to this text. Jesus, Father in heaven, we ask you this morning, uh, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be truly pleasing in your sight, our rock, our redeemer. I pray my words would be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the middle of John chapter 8, we get to verse 31, and the preceding this, there's, a, there's this confrontation between the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people, and the big question is, Who's this guy named Jesus? Is he just a good teacher? Who is this guy? And there's debate, and Jesus is saying who he is. And, and so they're really questioning him that you just really can't say those things about yourself. And he's like, I'm not just saying about myself, but there's someone else who testifies with me. And as he starts teaching, we're told that some believe in him. Some of these Jews hearing him teach actually believe in him. And it's to these people that he turns and he says these words to the Jews that had believed in him and to everyone who was listening. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You've probably heard those words. You may have even seen them written on some of our government buildings, right? That this truth will set you free. But the question is, what truth? And Jesus is claiming some things here that, that, that don't give us options to just think of him as a truth bringer or somebody with a truth. Jesus himself claims that he is the only one who brings truth, the truth. 
The truth, Jesus says, only comes through him. And I know as Christians, that's one of the, the charges that we, we hear made against us, is that we're kind of arrogant in thinking we have the handle on the truth. The truth is, Jesus has the handle on the truth. But besides that, all truth in and of itself is exclusive, right? Truth itself excludes everything else. It excludes the opposite. So it can't be true and not true at the same time. So truth in itself, a truth claim in itself, excludes every other claim. And Jesus is saying his truth is the only truth. And it only comes through him. He says it this way. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples. Right? This is my teaching. There is plenty of teaching out there. The Pharisees have a teaching. But I'm not asking you to follow their teaching. If you want to be my disciples, you have to follow my teaching. And when you follow my teaching, then you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. It is only a truth that comes through Jesus and no other person. Jesus is making a very exclusive claim. He's not bringing a truth. He's bringing the truth. And in fact, he goes further later in John where he says this, I am not just the way, but I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are Jesus' words. He makes a very exclusive claim. And I know that's uncomfortable, but those are Jesus' words. And he leaves us no wiggle room. He's claiming he's the only one that brings truth. In fact, he's saying truth isn't a set of in a set of principles, it's in a set of, 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 of arguments, truth is a person. And his name is Jesus. He says that that truth that he's come to teach us, that truth is knowable. It's not some vague picture. It's not this, this picture that we have to really work hard and maybe only have special knowledge and only special people understand it. No, it's a truth that's knowable because Jesus himself is knowable. He's knowable through his word. He's knowable through his actions. And Jesus himself testifies to that truth. And he says that we can know it. The question is, how do we come to know it? And he says, you want to come to know that truth? then you should do what it is I ask you to do. When you do what I ask you to do, when you follow my commands, when you hold to my teaching, and that, that idea there of holding to his teaching is something that means to persevere in following after him. If you continue to follow after me, if you continue to follow in my footsteps, then you will know the truth. You come to know the truth. You come to know Jesus as you actually do what he asks you to do. It's not just a mental ascent to memorizing everything that he said. These men, these, these Pharisees, these scribes, they had the scriptures memorized. They knew the scriptures far better than we, but yet they didn't know Jesus. 
And that's what he's saying, that you're not actually doing what God has asked you to do. You don't really know him, but if you want to know him, you'll do what I am asking you to do. You know, this summer, we're taking our oldest grandson to Yellowstone. We made a deal with our grandkids that when you turn 10, we'll take you to the national park of your choice. And our oldest grandson turned 10 several weeks ago, and we're going to Yellowstone at his request in August. Now, I've never been to Yellowstone. Have you guys been to Yellowstone? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. I've never been. My wife has been. She backpacked through Yellowstone at 16. My grandson's never been. My wife's tried to describe it to me. I've watched video after video after video, and I can't get enough. I watch the drives in the Yellowstone. I watch the drives through Yellowstone. I'm memorizing the routes around Yellowstone, but I haven't been to Yellowstone. I cannot wait to stand in the middle of one of those boardwalks and I know it sounds disgusting, but to smell the rotten eggs, you know, the sulfur and the sulfur pots and that wafting around you, right? To experience Yellowstone, to look around you and see the grandeur of what God has created and to just, like, to be there is going to be something completely different than just watching it or learning about it. Jesus is saying, if you want to know me, if you really truly want to come to know me, then do what I tell you, and you will know me. And he says, it's not just you'll come to this ascent, this experience. There's a, there's a deeper meaning here. The word that he uses here about to know him is a very intimate word. Think about it like this. Husband and wife, you will come to know one another in the biblical sense. That's really the meaning of this word here, that you will come to know him intimately that he will reveal himself to you. He will make known to you the truth of his words and you will come to experience him in no other way than you can experience him than by doing what he asks you to do. And he says in that will be blessing. In that you will come to know the truth. So what truth is he is he? calling us to see. And it's the truth about his heavenly father. It's the truth about who God is. He has come to reveal the, the God of the universe, the truth about him, that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He has come to reveal the truth about God. And he says over and over again, as recorded in John, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you obey me, you're obeying the Father. If you obey me, you'll come to know me. You'll come to know my Father. And we will be one. Jesus is coming to reveal to us the truth about who God is. And he invites each one of us to come to him. For each one of us to experience who he is in his person. And he tells us when we come and he reveals himself to us, that that truth about him will set us free. He says, then you will know the truth and that truth will set you free. That sounds amazing. Not to these hearers to the people that Jesus is speaking to, they take great offense at his words. You listen to their words, to their reply. 
We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, what they're not saying is we've forgotten about our slavery in Egypt. We've forgotten about our slavery to Babylon. We've forgotten about being occupied by Roman forces. They're not saying that. They're saying we are Abraham's descendants. We are better term. Maybe we are royalty. Right. We might be enslaved, but we're not slaves. Do you hear do you hear what they're saying? We are superior to everybody else morally and ethically because we are Abraham's children. We're not slaves. Everybody else is slaves. Who are you to say you're going to set us free? We are already children of Abraham. They take great offense to Jesus saying to them that they're in need of a Savior. They're in need of someone to set them free. Because we're not slaves. I mean, we see the same thing, don't we, in, in today's church where we look around us and we're like, like, we're not them. We make the same mistake when we look around us and, and we put ourselves up on a pedestal for being in church on Palm Sunday and knowing what Hosanna means and and knowing when Easter is. Jesus is saying, that doesn't mean a thing. He says, you've got a problem, and you've got a problem that you can't fix. He goes on to tell them this. He says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins. Now, they wouldn't have said they were without sin. And so he's telling them, as he's telling us, everyone is a slave to sin. If you sin, you are a slave to it. Famous preacher Fleming Rutledge put it this way. She said, you can no more choose not to sin than you can choose not to die. It is in your nature. And because you are a slave to sin, you will follow after your father. He says to them that you, you claim that Abraham is your father, but really he's not your father. Because my words, you have no room for them. I'm trying to reveal to you the truth about who God is. And in doing so, really, who you are. But you have no room for my words. And if, if you were like Abraham, you would, you would listen to my words. You would follow my voice. But you're not following my voice. And so in doing so, you prove whose, whose children you are. You are Satan's children. He is your father, and he is the father of lies. He speaks his natural tongue. When he speaks, he's a liar. And the lie he's telling here is the same lie he's told from the beginning, the same lie he's telling today, that you can be like God. You don't need God to order your life. You don't need God to order the world. You can choose how to order your life. You can choose how to order the world. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can just look around us and we can just look into our life yesterday or this past week and just really assess, how did that go? Or how is that going? As we've been studying Genesis, we've seen how that's gone. 
right, as, as, as mankind continues to try and bring order to this world. But we do so with all, as many people as there are, we do it as, in many different ways. If we, could just, if we could just get around this idea, right? If we could just all become part of this political party, or if we could all get around this grandiose idea, if we could all just love one another, then everything would be great. But the problem is, our definition of love is different than everybody else's picture of love. Great is, is subjective. What Jesus is saying is the truth about God is what he's preached, is that he is the one that has created everything. He is the one that has brought order to life. It is in him that things work best, and that is what Abraham saw. Abraham saw that when he followed him, and Abraham saw that when he disobeyed him. He recognized that, that God's way was best. But they have no room in their head for Jesus' teaching. They have no room for freedom. They believe themselves above it. But Jesus doesn't stop. He tells them, this isn't something you have to do. This is something that I give you. He says, if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. This is not something you can get on your own. It's not by being good. It's something that you are given. This freedom from this slavery to sin, this ability to actually follow after Jesus and to come to know him is a gift because he's been made known by his son Jesus. And by the pouring out of his spirit on those that believe, he gives him, you his spirit so that he testifies to that truth. And so God goes to great lengths to give you this gift of freedom. It is a gift. And Jesus is offering this gift to these people. And you sit there and go, well, that had to have convinced them, right? But no, they, they appeal one more time. Abraham's our father. We don't need you. Abraham's our father. There's no room for Jesus in their thinking. There's no room for Jesus' picture of God in their heads. Is there room in your heads? Is there room in your heart for Jesus' picture of who God is? Jesus goes on and finally ends this way. He said, my father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Your father Abraham, you claim to be your father. Rejoiced at the thought of my day. He trusted in my heavenly father. He didn't obey him perfectly, but he knew and he came to know him over his life as someone that was trustworthy, someone who was faithful, someone whose way was the best way, someone who was concerned about Abram. 
someone who's concerned about this world. And if you were Abraham's children, you would be too. But then he shakes them. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at that moment, they had a fit because they knew exactly what he was saying. He was not leaving any ambiguity in who he was. He wasn't just proclaiming himself to be this great teacher that brought this truth. He wasn't just someone who was going to free them from, from the captivity of the Romans or just from their everyday lives. He was someone much greater than that. And he identifies himself by this statement, I am, which we see God used with Moses in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses says, what, who should I say sends me? And he says, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. Jesus turns to these, these Pharisees, these Jews, and he says, I am God. I am not just some great moral teacher. I am not like Muhammad. I'm not like anyone else. I am God. And we know <laughs> that's what they heard because we're told at that, they picked up stones to stone him. They picked up stones to kill him because he was claiming to be God. Jesus leaves us no room to see him as anything else but God. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. In fact, he would either be a lunatic on a level of a man who says that he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so I come back to the question this morning, who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? The really great news is that you should come back next week. You should come back next Sunday because God puts an exclamation point on this story. God truly reveals to the world who Jesus is. So come back next week. If you're still exploring that question, come back next week. If you've been following Jesus for your entire life, come back next week. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the patience that you have for us, the love that you have for us, the, 
generosity in your teaching. You're continuing to work with us and walk alongside of us. All the while, we ignore you. All the while, we walk our own way. All the while, thinking and believing in the lie that we can, we can do things ourselves. We know what's best for ourselves. So, Father, we come before you this morning confessing. We come before you confessing our, our willing wandering. Our thinking of ourselves as greater than we are. Of thinking of our brothers and sisters as less. Of making these distinctions in the communities around us based on race or gender or beliefs. Father, we confess these sins to you now in this time of silence. And at the same time, Lord, your word reminds us that you've not condemned us, but yet you've saved us. You've punished that sin on the back of your son. You've come into this world to reveal the truth about your grace, your mercy, your justice, and your compassion. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, and we pray to you this morning with the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.